20. Romans 3 and verse 20. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, it looks like we've uh, possibly sold our shuttle bus. Uh, praise the Lord. We came up here the other day and some people from another church looked at it and they're interested in purchasing it. So we're excited about that. Hallelujah. We don't use that shuttle bus much anymore. So we're going to let somebody else be blessed by that. Hallelujah. So feel like we got a decent price for the bus and so on and so forth. Hallelujah. So, amen. A lot of things going on. All right. In Romans chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 20, if you have it, say praise the Lord. We're going to be looking at the uh, justification by faith. It's probably the central doctrine in the Bible, justification by faith. It's one of the most important doctrines to understand. And a lot of times when, when you talk about being justified by faith, a lot of times preachers don't preach on it much because they believe that the people understand what justification by faith means. So we don't need to explain it. You know, you've got it, you've got it pretty well understood. But in modern times, that has changed because there's so much debate around what does justification by faith mean, okay? And so we're going to try to explain it to you. When does it happen? How it happens? What's the basis of it? What's the means of it? So that you can understand what justification by faith means, all right? So one of the great Bibles, probably the central doctrine of the Bible, justification by faith. Verse 20. <clears throat> Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, say the righteousness of God, without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, Unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be the just might be just excuse me and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus where is boasting then it is excluded by what law of works nay but by the law of faith Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God. Say one God. Once again, we see even in the area of justification, the focus is on the oneness of God. Seeing it is one God. How many gods? One God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? 
God forbid, yea, we establish the law. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, have found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision, to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had been yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Amen. Long reading. Lord, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay, let's look at the verses beginning with verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. All right, we have taught you up to this point, the last couple of weeks, chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, through chapter 3 and verse 20, we showed you the ruin of man, the sinful condition of man. We showed you the pagan Gentiles that didn't have the Bible, but they had natural revelation of creation, and their conscience told them that there was a God. But they didn't live up to the natural revelation they had, nor their conscience. Then we showed you in Romans chapter 2, the religious man, who was basically the Jew, who had the Bible. He carried the Bible under his arms. He would go to the synagogue and so on and so forth. 
But the Bible shows us that he's also in the wrath of God if he doesn't have the gospel, if he doesn't have Jesus Christ. So whether you be a pagan Gentile without the word of God or you be a Jew with the word of God, if you don't have Jesus Christ, if you don't have the gospel, then you are not saved. And so Paul spent a lot of time telling us the bad news first. He gave us the bad news about the condition of man and how that man in his fallen state, in his sinful state, needs a Savior, needs the Gospel. And so now we come back to the good news. Paul begins to focus back on the Gospel. And he tells us in verse 9, of course, we remember of chapter 2, or 3, excuse me, what then we... Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved before both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. So once again, he proved that the Jew is under sin and the Gentile is under sin. That means a slave under the power and control of sin. And then he concludes it as we look at it in verse 19 of chapter 3. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world become guilty before God. So God in chapter 1 verse 18 through chapter 3 and verse 20 has proved that the whole world is guilty before God. And that nobody is saved outside of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he begins to go and explain in detail this good news of the gospel that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ and how can we be right with God. There's a man in the Bible you're familiar with. His name was Job. He asked the question, how can a man be right with God? And then in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, the people on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and preached and they fell in their conviction, they said, what must we do to be saved? So the great question, of man is how can I be right with God? How can I be in right a right position and right standing in God with God and be in a relationship with God? How do I accomplish that? Is it by good works, trying to do the best I can in life? Uh, what what is needed for a man to be right with God to be saved? And so uh, Paul begins to teach us. He goes to the courtroom first. And he tells us in verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. Say justified. justified. Now what he's talking about is this. It's very important for you to understand. The Bible does teach that it is important that we have works. But it's where you put the works. See, okay, so if you are trying to work your way to heaven, then you can't be justified by works, trying to work your way to heaven by your own good deeds. That's justification. If you try to work to get to heaven, if you try by your own good deeds to get to heaven, and say every day you say, okay, well, my good outweighs my bad. And you're not in, you have not been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, but but you just look at your life and you say, well, I'm, I'm pretty bad, but I'm not all bad. I've got some good. And as long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm going to go to heaven. And Paul has clearly told us that that is not possible. Because what God requires is His righteousness. Not what you can produce, but what He requires is 
His righteousness. And that means God requires 100% perfection. That means everything that He's written in His law that He requires, you have to keep it 100%, not 99 and 100%. You have to meet the righteous commands and requirements of God 100%. And nobody has ever existed on the planet that has ever or could ever say that they have obeyed God 100% and fulfilled all of His righteous requirements. And so if a person is trying to be right with God in a right relationship with God, and he's basing it or she's basing it on her good works, they come short. We all come short of the glory of God. Some may make a 95 on the test. Some may make an 80 on the test. Some may make a 75 on the test. But nobody has made a 100 on the test. So all have come short of the glory of God. Okay? Sort of like this also. If you're going to try to jump across the Grand Canyon, you may back up a little bit and you may run as fast as you can and jump as far as you possibly can. Say so one person jumps out about 10 feet and they go down. A track star jumps out about 20, 25, or 30 feet, but they still go down. You see? They all fall short or come short of the glory of God, even though somebody might have jumped a little further yeah, out into the Grand Canyon. Nobody made it to the other side. And so when it comes to being right with God, that's a good example. The Grand Canyon. No. It barely jumped, barely covered any distance. It's what it is with God. So you might have jumped a little bit farther than somebody else when it comes to being good in life or being to be moral in life. But you have a great chasm that you have not jumped over. You haven't, you haven't done what you were supposed to do, nor have I. And so Paul, after condemning the whole world by his word and showing that everybody needs to be saved by the gospel, the Gentile, he jumped shorter than the Jew did. But the Jew didn't jump long enough either. He didn't jump far enough either. And so then Paul is going to say, everybody is in need of a Savior. Everybody needs somebody to save them because we've all come short of the glory of God. And so he says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, that simply means this. By the deeds of the law. Now, this gets real complicated. What law is he talking about? Is he talking about the first five books of Moses? Is he talking about all the law of God as a whole? All the commandments of God as a whole? What law is he talking about? Well, we basically summed it up for you without you know, getting into too heavy theology. We summed it up to you. It has to do with your own good works. Okay? Whether it's under the Mosaic law all the commandments of God, so on and so forth. Anybody who is depending on their own good works, the works of the law, is going to come short of the glory of God. Does everybody understand that? So having said that, everybody in this church and everybody in the world, doesn't matter who you are, you need the gospel. You need Jesus Christ. Without Him, none of us would be saved because we've all come short of the righteousness of God. So then we see here, he says, therefore by the deeds of the law, verse 20, there shall no flesh be justified. Now what does justification mean? What does that word justified mean? Well, it's basically the same thing as righteousness. Righteousness speaks of being in a right relationship with God or in right standing with God. 
Uh, justification is a courtroom term. It's a legal term. So somebody goes to court, and in the courtroom, in this case, God's courtroom, stand in God's courtroom, and in that courtroom, God determines by His Word that you and I are guilty. We have broken His law. We're guilty. We're not righteous in His eyes. We don't have a relationship with Him. And so He comes down with the anvil. He hits that desk with that and He says, You are guilty. So we all stand before God in the courtroom. The whole world does, as Paul has already showed us. And we're all guilty before God. He slams it down and He says, You're guilty. You deserve death. You deserve to go to hell. Okay? Because we haven't met, met the righteous requirements of the law. So we're guilty. Now, he goes on and he says, being justified. Justified, that means this. To be justified means now the guilty person in the courtroom is now declared to be in right standing, is declared to be guilt free, is to, is declared by God to be in a right relationship with Him. So how can the guilty person in the courtroom who is not in right relationship with God, how can God look at that man and make a declaration to that guilty man and saying, you are now right with me. You are in right standing. You're in a right relationship with me. And He says that to the guilty person. Amen. Now think about that. Say if you were in, in trouble with the law and you went to the courtroom, and some of y'all have a little bit of experience with that, you go in there and the judge, whatever it's a ticket or whatever you've got, and the judge says, you're guilty. You've got to pay the fine. They say you're a murderer and they, they put you in jail for life or you know whatever it is. They, they find you guilty. But that judge who said you're guilty and sets the sentence upon you, whether it's a fine or whatever, depending on what the law was broken, what if that judge looks at you, the guilty person, and says, you're guilty, but I'm going to come down off of my bench and I'm going to stand beside you and I'm going to take your place. I'm going to pay your fine or I'm going to go to prison for you or I'm going to go and sit in the electric chair for you or I'm going to let them inject me and kill me for you and I'll take your place so that the judge who says he's guilty becomes the one who takes the place. The executioner becomes the executed. Can you imagine how you would feel if you were facing a death penalty? If the judge who sentenced you, the executioner came down off his seat and said, I'll pay that price for you and you can walk out the front door free? How would you feel? Well, number one, you know you didn't deserve it. You would be very thankful that mercy and grace was showed to you, but the judge didn't ignore your crime. The judge didn't overlook your crime. The judge knew that you were guilty and the price had to be paid, so he could not ignore the crime. But he came down, the executioner became the one that was executed for you so that you could go free. And so when Paul is talking about justification, being in a right relationship with God, it is because it is a free gift from God to you based on 
what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross. The executioner became the executed for you. So that you could have a right relationship, a right standing with God. And it had nothing to do with how good you were because none of you were good. It was all about this is the gospel. It's the good news. It's what somebody did for you. Not what you could do for yourself because you couldn't do it for yourself. It's what somebody did for you. It's called the gospel. And it's the good news. And it's you get justified by faith or believing in what Jesus Christ did. So he starts out in the courtroom. And he shows how the, 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 the guilty go free. How a person who is condemned by the law can be forgiven for that sin and that guilt and walk out of the court courtroom a free man. And so this is what Paul is talking about. Justification is a courtroom term, legal term. has to do with the guilty being made free. It's, it's talking about somebody that is released of their guilt and is in right standing in the court. Okay? Verse 21, But now is the righteousness, same thing as justification, is right standing with God, right relationship, but now is the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Without the law is manifested. It's not based on the law of good works for justification. The righteousness of God without the law, say without the law, is manifested. Now what's interesting, that term manifest, when you break it down, and I don't. sometimes I bore you with these things, but in the Latin term manifested, when you have the Latin term, it means to strike with the hand. Okay? So God says this right here, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So God puts us in right standing, but instead of manifesting, that means striking us with the hand. Because it's without the law, that means you stand with your hands open like this. And instead of God striking you with the hand, you come in the presence of God with your hands open and empty. You have nothing to offer Him. Nothing to offer Him. And you know you don't have anything to offer Him. So you stand before Him empty-handed and you say, God, I need to receive from You salvation. So God doesn't manifest in the sense of striking the hand. God shows you or reveals to you your need and you stand there with open hands and say, God, I'm undone. I can't help myself. I'm hopeless. I'm empty-handed. I'm standing here to receive this free gift of relationship with you, of salvation with you, not based on what I can do because I'm empty-handed, based on what you're going to give me by grace. Okay, say praise the Lord. And it's not based on your own good works, human good works. Verse 22, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Now how do you get this righteousness? How do you get a relationship with God, salvation, right standing with God. How did it come? Well, 
It didn't come by our own good works. The Bible's very clear how it comes to us. For the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. It's by faith. It's by believing. It's not based on doing. It's based on believing. It's not based on human doing. It's based on human believing. As far as justification is concerned, or being right with God. How do I receive justification from God or right, right standing with God? It's by faith, pistis, and by believing, pistu, which is the same thing, basically. It's you believing in what Jesus Christ has done for you and what He's doing today that puts you in a right relationship with God. What you believe is what allows you to be saved. Amen. Not what you do, but what you believe. Are y'all with me here? Now let's keep looking at it. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Now it almost sounds like he's talking about Jesus' faith. And obviously Jesus was faithful. He fulfilled what God required of Him coming into this world. He was the only perfect man who ever lived. He obeyed God's law 100%. The only perfect man that ever lived. And that man that was perfect went and died on the cross for you and for me in our place. Amen. And so yes, Jesus Christ was faithful to God. If He wasn't, we wouldn't have a gospel. But I don't think it means, I don't think it's talking about the faith of Jesus. I believe it's talking about a human faith or human believing. Because Abraham, the Bible says, if we look at it over in Abraham in chapter 4 verse 3, for what saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God. Amen. So it's what you and I do. Yes, Jesus was faithful. The faith of Jesus Christ. He was faithful. Without that, we would not and could not be saved. But I believe that this has to do with our faith in Jesus Christ. What He did. So faith is what brings this experience to you. It's believing in what He did that justifies you. Okay? So we see even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that do what? That believe. So faith is pistis. That's what faith, the Greek word pistis. And then we believing is pistu. It's the same thing basically when you break it down. It's simply believing what God has said that He has done. It's putting faith in what He said. He did for you. He took your place on that cross. So faith is the, the vehicle that brings this relationship or this free gift to empty-handed people. It's faith. It's what you believe in that allows you to be in right relationship with God. You've taken Him at His Word. You believe what He did for you. And as a result of that, He imparts salvation or relationship, the right standing with Him. Verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely, say it's a free gift, by His grace. None of us deserve it. It's freely given by His grace. And I like the definition that Brother Dias used to teach us. He said grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. But let me just break it down to you in this way. Grace is God giving you. It's a free gift from God. It's based on grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
It's something we don't deserve. If somebody gives you something by grace, you deserve just the opposite of that. But He gives you by grace something you don't deserve. And so He gives us salvation even though we don't deserve it because that's grace. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you deserve. See, I deserve damnation. I deserve His wrath. I deserve to go to hell. But in mercy, He doesn't give me what I deserve. But in grace, He gives me what I don't deserve. And that's the grace of God. It is a free gift that comes to us based on what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. And it is freely given. It is a gift of God Almighty. Something that you cannot earn. Amen? Now let's keep going. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now the term justification deals with the courtroom. The the guilty go free. But now... He turns and He uses a marketplace term. It's redemption. Redemption. What is redemption? It's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Well, redemption in the Old Testament was when God came and delivered Israel out of uh, slavery. When He delivered them out of slavery, that means He redeemed them. It's when God comes to a person and delivers them out of their slavery. When we get in New Testament days, it was the price that a slave could pay in order to be free. And so now we look at the marketplace here and we see, as in Hosea, the book of Hosea, we see Gomer was standing on the auction block of sin, so to speak figuratively. She was unfaithful to Hosea. And there she is in the open market being sold as a slave. And Hosea goes to that marketplace and that woman that was unfaithful to him, the Bible says that Hosea purchased her. He redeemed her. Even though she was unfaithful to him, he purchased her off of the slave box of sin and took her home. And so now God says, He's using these terms, starting with the courtroom, now to the marketplace. He says, your salvation is redemption. That means that God paid the price in order for you as a slave, a slave to sin, under the power of sin, could go free. It's now the marketplace. And you were standing there, that auction block of sin, and Satan was your master. He was in control of your life. The devil was your master. And you you had a debt that you could not pay. You were unfaithful to God and Jesus Christ walked up and saw you in the auction block of sin stripped naked. No clothes on your body. He saw you in that condition and He says, I will pay the price for that person. I'm going to pay the price for Jerry Carter to come down off of that auction block of sin, leave the control of Satan's power. I'm going to pay that price and I'm going to take them home with me. I'm going to save them. And so, he uses that term redemption because that's the price that was played for you 
as a slave. You were slave. You were in bondage. Sin is bondage. It's, it's a slavery lifestyle. And Jesus Christ came and said, I take you as my own. I buy you. I purchase you. With my blood, I redeem you so that you can no longer be a slave. You can be a free person as far as salvation is concerned. Amen? So being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He purchased us. And verse 25 brings us to the next picture. He moves from the courtroom to the marketplace to the temple. And He says this, Whom God has set forth, and this is talking about Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Say with me, a propitiation. The Greek word, hilasterion. What is propitiation? What does that mean? That's a loaded, heavy term. It's a big word. And I go to church. You're probably never going to hear this word except you go to church. Hilasterion or propitiation. How many of y'all heard propitiation out there when you were working? Somebody said something about propitiation. No. Because propitiation is a church word. Propitiation is a temple word. And Hebrews chapter 9, let me give you the verse. Hebrews 9 and verse 5. Mercy seat. The Bible translates propitiation, or the Greek word hilasterion, as mercy seat. So God says, there's a propitiation for you. He now uses the temple as the picture of redemption. Now what is the mercy seat? What is propitiation? The mercy seat. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the mercy seat was where God dealt with the sins of all of mankind. They would take and they would kill an animal. Read Leviticus 16 sometimes. They would take and they would kill a goat. And then they would take that blood of that goat and they would sprinkle it seven times on the mercy seat. And they would take another goat and they would put their hands on that goat and they would confess the sins of the people on that goat. One was killed, the blood was shed. And they would take this other goat out into the wilderness, it's called the scapegoat, and leading the sins of the people out away from them, away from the nation, they could see that goat being taken out of the city. From one booth to another booth to another booth to another booth till you couldn't even see the goat anymore. And when you saw the goat leave the city, you saw your sins leaving the city. Amen. And it was based on the blood that was shed in that first goat. And the scapegoat took the sin away. Amen. And that blood of that goat that was applied to the mercy seats, what he's talking about right here, is that when Jesus Christ looks at your sin, the place where He deals with sin, is no longer on a mercy seat of gold today. Where He deals with you and my sin is in Jesus Christ. Where the blood was applied on the mercy seat, it's propitiated. The word propitiation, mercy seat, means God said it is enough. God said, I'm satisfied. You should be receiving wrath and judgment because when I come down, I always come down in wrath. But because the blood has been applied to the mercy seat, 
When my spirit comes down and it sees the blood, instead of coming down in wrath, it turns into mercy. And God says, I'm satisfied. It is enough. The blood is enough. And today, when He looks at your life and my life, because Jesus Christ is the mercy seat, He's where God deals with sin. He says, when He sees the blood on your life, He says, it is enough. He says, I am satisfied with the blood of Jesus Christ. He is propitiated. He's satisfied. And experience, instead of experiencing His wrath and His judgment, we receive the mercy. The mercy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So in the courtroom, the guilty goes free, justified. In the marketplace of, of slavery, the slave goes free because of redemption being purchased and because of the mercy seat in the temple. We don't experience the wrath of God. God says, I'm satisfied. It's enough. When He looks at you today, you can come in here today and you can have a sin mentality. And I preach to some of you right now and I know where you are and God knows where you are. I can tell by the when you come in here and how you sit that you come in here with a sin mentality. You're oppressed. You're defeated. You're conquered. All you think about is where you failed last week and all the sins you've committed and you sit there dead on a pew. It is because you don't know the Gospel. When Jesus Christ looks at you and you put that sin under the blood, He says, the blood is enough. I'm satisfied. You deserve to be cast into hell this morning. But I see the blood. And because I see the blood, I'm satisfied, said God. I'm propitiated. Your sins are covered in my blood. Hallelujah. Give God praise in this house. So Paul takes those three things. He takes the courtroom. He takes the marketplace. And he takes the temple. And he shows you how freely by grace, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by what He did on the cross, He saved us. Hallelujah. Give God praise in this house. It's a free gift. You didn't deserve it. If somebody today offered you $100, would you take it? If you didn't have nothing in the bank, not zero, empty, completely empty-handed, and somebody walked in and said, I'm going to give you $100. What's the catch? No catch. What do I have to do for it? How can I earn it? You don't need to. I'm going to give it to you by grace. Freely. Just accept it. Just believe it and take it. And that's all you got to do. Hallelujah. And the guilty goes free. And the slave walks into freedom. And the person who had the wrath and judgment of God upon him walks out having received mercy. God says, it's enough for me. What's enough for me is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's enough for me. I'm satisfied. You, you get God satisfied. That's a big deal. Hallelujah. We spend a lot of time trying to satisfy people. But you get God satisfied and that is a big deal. God says, I'm satisfied based on the blood of Jesus Christ this morning. I wasn't satisfied with you before. You deserve wrath. You weren't enough. You were way short. But I'm satisfied today because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Give God praise. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Faith in His 
blood. That's where it is. It's what Jesus Christ did and it's what Jesus Christ is doing today that saves us and makes us right with God. The blood of Jesus Christ to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. God's been so patient and so long-suffering. Forbearance means God just put up with you. And I want to just be honest with you, He still puts up with you today. He still puts up with me today. He tolerates us. The reason why He puts up with mankind and tolerates us is because He, God, the Spirit of God, looks at His Son hanging on the cross. And He says, because my Son died in their place, I'm going to forbear, I'm going to tolerate, I'm going to put up with it and until the blood gets applied to them. Hallelujah. And when the blood gets applied to them, they can be saved, be redeemed by that blood. Hallelujah. And forgiven by that blood. Through the forbearance of God Almighty. And then verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness. See, it's a declaration of God. It's what God says about you. You might say something different. The devil might for sure say something different. But it's what God declares. God declares us this way today. And it's, it's a free gift. It's by grace. We didn't deserve it. That's justification. Say amen. Now we keep going. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be ju- the just, be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. See, God is not only the justifier, but He's just in what He does. See, God is holy, but He's also a God of love. In His holiness, He could not ignore sin. If He ignores sin, He would violate His own holiness. So how did He take care of His holy requirements? How is He just in forgiving us and justifying us freely? Because He didn't ignore sin. He fulfilled His righteous requirements by having the penalty paid. The penalty had to be paid for sin. The price had to be paid. And so He says, I will, I will justify myself in what I'm doing. I'm going to show grace and mercy to the sinner. Amen. I'm going to pay the price myself. Amen. In my holiness, I'm the executioner. But in my love and mercy and grace, I'll become executed for them. And so He's justified in showing love and mercy and grace to the sinner because He paid the price to fulfill the attribute of His holiness. His holiness hates sin. He can't even dare to even look at sin. He hates it. He couldn't. He cannot ignore sin. He can't ignore it. He, God never ignores my sin. And so what He does is He says, I've got to pay that price to fulfill my holiness. And He died. And so not only is He, is he the justifier, but He's just in the way He did it. See, when He went to the cross, holiness, love, and God's holiness met at the cross. God's law and God's love met at the cross in Jesus Christ. 
And when he died, he fulfilled the righteous requirements of his holiness and the law and his attribute of love. They met. They kissed at the cross. And mercy and grace came running out to him. That's what he's talking about. He's just and the justifier of them that believe. Believe. Say believe in Jesus. In Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. You and I, we can't stand and boast and say, I did it for myself. We can't boast. Where's boasting? No. Boasting is excluded. How? By faith. Because by faith I know I'm justified. I'm right with God. I'm saved because of what He's done for me on that cross. Now, now the question is, when does that happen? I found out what He does, what He did for me. But when does that actually happen in your life? When does that take place? And that's what's probably going to shock some of you. Does it happen in this life? At the beginning of your conversion? Or does it happen in eternity when you stand before Him on Judgment Day? When does it happen? Amen. We're going to cover that this morning. Now watch. Wherefore is boasting that it is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified, let's just use the term saved so you'll understand it, by faith without the deeds of the law. It's without your good works. As far as justification is concerned, being right with God, it has nothing to do with your works. That's a free gift from Jesus Christ based on what He did. Well, then Paul begins to deal with because there was this idea that God was only interested in saving the Jews. And so Paul asked the question, is He the God of the Jews only? Is He not also of the Gentiles? Yea, of the Gentiles also. The Jews in their mind would say the Gentiles don't have a chance. But God says, remember, everybody stands condemned. The Gentile and the Jew outside of Jesus Christ, outside of the Gospel, he said everybody stands condemned. The Jew would say the Gentile couldn't be saved. And Jesus says, well, Jew, you need to be saved, and the Gentile needs to be saved, and you're going to get saved the same way. And it's through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not a different plan for salvation based on your ethnicity. Everybody needs a Savior. If you're a Jew, you need Jesus. If you're a Gentile, you need Jesus. And God can save and wants to save everybody, not just the Jewish people. Is everybody with me? Verse 30. Seeing it is one God. Say one God. Again, the focus is on who God is and what He's done. There is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. He says, whether you be Israelite, circumcised, or whether you be uncircumcised, Gentile. He said, you're going to be justified the same way. And it's based on what you believe. 
and who you believe in. Is everybody awake? And I said, now just, just so you, you get this, He's not telling you that once you get justified, then you can live however you want to. He wants you to know that once you get justified, He didn't throw the law away. He didn't throw His Old Testament Bible away. Amen? We're justified freely by His grace because we believe in what Jesus Christ did for us. But remember, that doesn't mean that the law has been done away with. That Paul goes on and says, you establish the law. The, st- the law is still in place. The law condemns you and I because we come short of the glory of God. We know, we know sin because the law defines sin for us. The law condemns all of us. It's still in place doing that work today. Defining sin, condemning the sinner. Right. Taking the sinner by the hand and leading them to the only one that can save them, Jesus Christ. Bringing them to total despair, knowing that they're not good enough. It's still in force today. The law hasn't been done away with. The condemnation of the law has been done away with. And we have preachers and teachers today who do not know the Word of God. And they take verses that say, well, the law has been done away with. They don't even know what... Law is being talked about there. The law of God is still in place today. It's still doing today what it was meant to do even in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the law was never given in the Old Testament to justify men. What it was given for in the Old Testament is still in place today. It's to show your shortcoming. To show your transgression. It condemns you to death. It still does today. So the Bible says, if you look at it very carefully, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, we establish the law. The law is not, hasn't been taken away. It's still in force. And when we believe by faith, we're saying what the law says. That you and I needed a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. Don't you remember in the Old Testament law? There were blood sacrifices that were required to cover the sins of the people. We're saying just like the law of the Old Testament said we need a sacrifice and we come short of the glory of God. Right. We believe in the one that died for us in the sacrifice Amen. for our sin. Amen. We believe in Him. Amen. The law is... the law. If you, you listen to a preacher today... They say, we're not under the law. What are you talking about? You better define that. Because the Bible, remember I preached to you not long ago about your baptism? In Romans chapter 6, your baptism preaches, when you get baptized, it preaches against antinomianism. It preaches against the doctrine of no law. You are saying that what God says about you as a sinner is right and that you needed a sacrifice to die in your place and you're going to that sacrifice, Jesus Christ, that blood that was shed for you and you're saying, I believe that law, what it said, it's prophecy concerning the Savior. I believe it. I embrace that. It's still in place today. The only thing that has been removed of the law for the believer is the condemnation of the law. For the believer, the believer's not under the condemnation of the law. Hallelujah. Now, but remember what I said. Paul has already declared 
that we're not saved by the works of the law. So if you're trying to take the law that's still in place today, and you're trying by your own good works to be right with God called justification, the Bible calls that dead works. Are you with me? But once you get justified, which you didn't work for, there's another term that comes into play. It's called sanctification. Once you get justified freely by His grace, there has to be works in your life. Even the reformers in the Reformation, like Luther who, who took that word in, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, and as is written, the just shall live by faith. He took that, but every reformer that ever stood up and preached knew that works were required. And they insisted on the works because they knew they were required. It's where you put the works. If you're trying to work for salvation, that's dead works. But after you get justified freely by His grace, there must be, and we insist on works being done by those that are justified. It's called sanctification. That's the evidence that your salvation is real. If you don't have any works after you've been justified, if you don't live a holy life, if you don't obey the Word of God, your faith is dead. Because works are required for salvation. But the works that are required for salvation are not trying to work for God's salvation. It's because you are saved and you're sanctified and your works prove that salvation. You don't have works today. If you're this kind of person who says, well, I'm justified, I can sin, I can live however I want to, I don't have to live holy, you're not going to be saved. Do you understand? It's where you, where you, where you focus the work on. Is it for justification? Or it's because you are justified. If you are justified, the works are in sanctification. That proves that you are saved. It's the evidence. I'm going to blow your mind. Paul said works are not necessary for salvation. Not necessary for justification. But James said they were necessary for salvation. Wow. So you have to know what he means. Let's go over to the book of James. In James chapter 2. Question for you on judgment day. When you stand before God. What's God going to judge? He's going to judge your faith. He's going to judge the work of the Spirit in your life. But on judgment day, He's going to judge our works. Don't think just because we're saved freely by grace that we can live without works and be saved. On judgment day, He's going to judge all of that. And that will determine whether or not you're saved. James chapter 2. Let's look at it. There's a people ignorant of the Word of God. They, they're today, they don't know the Word of God. You do. James. Let's go to James chapter 2.
what does he say? Verse 17. Even so faith. Now remember Paul said, faith apart from works is what brings justification. But look at what James says. He says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. If you don't have works of in your life that's the evidence of your salvation, you're not saved. It's where you it's how you understand works in the Bible. Justification being right with God, salvation comes as a free gift. But once you get born again and, and you are justified in the eyes of God, you better have works in your life. Righteous works are required. They are insisted upon by the Word of God. If they're not there, if your life is not lived in a way that's pleasing to God, you will not be saved. It's where you locate the work. You're not working for justification. But after you get justified, the works that you perform come out of justification. That's called sanctification. You've got to have both of them. You've got to have justification and sanctification. Sanctification proves your justification. You don't have sanctification. Your justification is nothing more than a mere profession and it's dead faith. I'm going to ask you again on judgment day, the final judgment, how's God going to judge you? He's going to judge every person based on the work of the Spirit in their life, their faith, and what? Their works. There's going to be a lot of surprised people when they get to heaven. Because they've heard some preacher says, well, you know, you're justified by faith and by grace through faith. That not of yourselves is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. They say, well, I didn't have to worry about how I live because I'm justified freely by grace. And God's going to say, I don't even know you because you're lawless. Matthew 7, you're lawless. You have no works, no evidence that you're saved. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Let's look at it. James chapter 2. Verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Dead faith. Yea, man may say, Thou hast faith, I have, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Amen. Amen. Thou that believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And then he talks about Abraham. And we're fixing to get into Abraham in a minute. See, in Romans, the focus is on what brings you in right relationship with God. Justification. James takes it a step further. And he shows you that works are required for salvation. If you have true faith, you will have the evidence of that faith or the fruit of that faith, which is called works. If you don't have works, you don't have faith. They go together. Are you with me? If you don't have sanctification or holiness, you don't have true justification in your life. Heavy, heavy, heavy. 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Paul is going to say he was justified by faith and not by works. But there's no contradiction in the Word of God. In Romans chapter 4 where Paul says, Abraham was justified by faith and not works. James says he was justified by works. And... Notice. Justified by works. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? The same term, justified. Right relationship, right standing with God. How was he in right standing with God? By his works. But Paul will say in Romans 4, it wasn't by his works he got justified. It was by his faith. But then James says it was by his works that he got justified. The whole point being is this, when you have true faith that justifies you, it will produce works, saving works. Justification produces sanctification. And without the two, you can't be saved. You can't trust in your own good works to save you. But once you get saved, there better be works that prove that salvation. And I'm not just talking about when it first comes to you at conversion. I'm talking about throughout your life. You can backslide away from God Almighty. And when your works stop, you can talk all you want to about how much faith you've got. But James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. I've got the evidence. I've got the evidence. He, James says, I've got the evidence that I'm a Christian. I've got the evidence that I'm going to heaven. It's not just about talking and saying I have faith, which is dead without works. It's where you locate the works. If you're working for salvation, those are dead works. If works come as a result of your salvation, that's living works. Faith that's mere profession only, just professing that you know God, faith that's a profession only, without works is dead. So you've got dead faith that don't have any works. And you got living faith that produces works. And you've got dead works, which is trying to produce justification. Or you've got living works, that's the evidence of your justification. It's where you put it. There has to be works in your life if you're going to be saved. You need them to both, okay? Say amen. So you have to understand the work of God. What God does, justification. But you also have to understand by the Word of God what man does. There's what God does and there's what man does. And you've got to have both of it. God has come in the form of a man, died on the cross in order to provide salvation for you. He's given everything you need to be saved, to be freely forgiven of your sin. But then you and I have a responsibility on the human level. We've got some stuff we've got to do. If you don't believe, that's a work. If you don't believe, you'll be lost. Believing is a work. It's not trying to work for salvation. It's a, say, a salvation, a work of salvation. It's not a work to get salvation. It's a work of salvation. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Don't you dare think that you're going to go to heaven 
And there's no works in your life today. There's no evidence in your life today that you're obedient to God, that you live for Him, that you serve Him. You've got to have both of them. That's why I ask you, when does this justification take place? Does it take place only at the beginning of your conversion? What about on judgment day in eternity? What about in between the beginning and the final day? Salvation in the Word of God is speak, spoken of as past, present, and future. I, I was saved. I am saved. I will be saved. But you might have been saved, but are you saved today? You, you may have been saved, not saved today. And if you're not saved in the present, you're not going to be saved in the future. Because the Bible talks about salvation and justification in the past, present, and future terms. Say amen. See, I, if, I walk, if I stop living for God today and I, I, you know, I stop obeying God, stop serving God, yeah, He justified me freely by His grace. But if I'm not saved today, I won't be saved in the future. There are a lot of people rolling dice right now. There's a lot of people gambling. Let me, let me give you a little understanding here. The Bible says we, we establish the law. Let me give you a little, a little understanding. In theology, you have four different kinds of people. You have the Legalist. Y'all ever heard the term legalist? Sometimes they call holiest people they're legalist. I'm gonna be God help me to That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Call holiness people legalist. Because they don't know what legalism is. The legalist, salvation is by grace plus good works. That means okay, I believe in what Jesus Christ did. But I'm also going to try to work to be saved. That's the legalist for justification. You with me? Remember the first step? Justification. So the legalist says salvation by grace plus good works for justification. That's the key. That's what you got to write down. For justification. The liberal says... You've got a lot of liberals today. The liberal says, sin that grace may abound. That's what they were accusing the Apostle Paul of. They accused Paul of being liberal. They accused Paul of preaching sin that grace may abound. And we'll get into the 5th, 6th chapter of Romans. We'll show you he didn't teach that. Sin that grace may abound. Or then you have the libertarian. The libertarian says we're saved by grace without good works. But the legitimate doctrine of the Bible teaches grace and holiness. The doctrine of the Bible, legitimate doctrine teaches, amen, salvation produces good works. I can, I can listen to a person talk and know exactly which one they are. If they're liberal, 
Amen? If they're a legalist or they're a liberal or they're a libertarian or they're a legitimate doctrine, I can listen by the way they talk. What kind of person they are. Theologically. If you want to be biblically accurate, Amen? Legitimate is holiness and grace. Grace and holiness. Salvation produces good works. Or holy life. It's called sanctification. Justification. Right standing with God produces sanctification. Good works in human life. God's responsibility. What God did to justify you. The first one. And then sanctification is your response to that salvation on a human level. Human responsibility, works of salvation. For example, a work of salvation is not trying to work to go to heaven. A work of salvation is when you believe. A work of salvation is when you put in your faith in Jesus Christ. A work of salvation is obeying Acts 2.38. Repentance is not good works. Repentance is a work of salvation. And be baptized in water, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's not working to go to heaven. That's a work of salvation. Water baptism in Jesus' name. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Those are works of salvation. Not trying to work to go to heaven. It's a big difference. So when does the justification come? When does the right relationship come to us? If Jesus Christ has freely given it to us based on what He did on the cross, when do you and I experience that righteousness or that justification? It's at your conversion. It's when you become a born-again believer. Jesus said in John chapter 3, except you're born again of the water and the Spirit, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. Your justification comes to you when you get water baptized in Jesus' name, having repented of your sin, and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's when you are justified. And it wasn't because you brought enough money to the church. It wasn't because of the way you dressed when you came to church. It wasn't because you were good enough when you came to church. It's you said, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. So I repent of my sin. I'm going to be baptized and have the blood of Jesus applied to my life to wash away my sin. And I'm going to receive His Spirit. I'm a born-again person. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. He gave it to us based on His finished work. And now... I am a Christian that will produce sanctification in my life and that sanctification also is a part of my justification because it comes out of living faith that produces works. It's a big difference between works of salvation and dead works trying to work your way into heaven. It's where you put the works. So when does, when does the justification come to you? Well, let's go to Acts chapter 2 very quickly. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, remember on the day of Pentecost, this is after Jesus died on the cross. And what did the apostles preach? His finished work, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And when Peter preached that, His death, burial, and resurrection, what Jesus Christ did to justify man, Here's the question. Hallelujah. You with me? Amen. 
Isn't God good? Verse 37 of Acts 2. After Peter preaches the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Job asked the question, How can a man be right with God? And what did Peter say? He said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children to all that are far off and even as many as the Lord our God shall call. With many other words did He testify and exhort saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. They asked the question, what do we need to do to be right with God? And Peter gave them those works of salvation. They weren't working for heaven. That was God's free gift to remit their sins when they had the name of Jesus. The one who died for them on the cross. His blood applied to their life. It was God's grace that that you and I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. We didn't work for it. But justification has a beginning. And it begins at conversion. But it doesn't just have to do with conversion. Let's go over to the book of Galatians. You've got to take the whole Word of God. Five, Galatians 5, verse 5. So I said to you, when does, it, when does it come to you? When are you justified? At your new birth. That's how, when you obey, Acts 2.38. But it's not just conversion or justification. It doesn't just take place at the beginning of your conversion. Because Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, he says this, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Here Paul says righteousness is something you're waiting for. In Romans chapter 5, the first part of chapter 5, Paul, you will see, Paul declares that you're righteous right now. And it came to you at at, at conversion. But now in in Galatians, Paul says righteousness is a future thing. It's both. It's now. It's now, but not yet. Now, but not yet. It's held in tension. When you get born again, you are right standing with God. But it's not complete yet. Until you stand before Him on Judgment Day and He says, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord, thou good and faithful servant. It's not once saved, always saved. Justification has a beginning. He justifies you freely by His grace. He keeps you justified in time. And when you stand before God on Judgment Day, that's the future righteousness. 
And how's He going to judge you and I on Judgment Day? By the work of faith in our life, the work of the Spirit in our life, and the good works we perform. Until you hear on that faith, that final day, God say to you, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord, your righteousness is not complete. It had a beginning, but it also has a future. Everybody with me here? It began at conversion. But on that final day, that's when it's going to be completed. For through, we through the Spirit wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith with worketh by love. So it's both. It's present. It's, it's past, it's present, and it's future. Justification. So you go to James. In Romans, Paul tells us how we are saved, not by our own good works. How we're justified. But then we go to James, and he talks about that judgment too. In the future, James chapter 2, again, verse 17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? It was the evidence, the fruit of his faith. That it was a genuine faith. See, Abraham's faith was just meant, was not mental acceptance. Abraham's faith was not just believing in certain facts. Believing. The word believing and faith means absolute total commitment and total submission to God. It's not just accepting Jesus into your heart. It's not just having mental facts about Him. It's not just mental incent because in John chapter 2, the latter part of that chapter says this, many believed on Jesus when they saw the works that He did. But it goes on to say, but He did not commit Himself to them because He knew what was in man. And right after He says that in John 2, what does He say in John 3? To a man. There was a man named Nicodemus. And he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit. Many believed on him when they saw the works that he did. But he said, I didn't commit myself to them because they didn't have saving, the saving kind of belief that's required. The word belief means total submission and total commitment to God. Not just mentally accepting. When you get converted, you become a born-again believer. If you're a true born-again believer, you're going to live holy. You're going to live a sanctified life. You're going to serve Him. And that's going to be the fruit or the evidence of your salvation. And as long as you're living in a living faith, a living salvation, with living works, guess what? On Judgment Day, 
there's going to be that future righteousness that God will give you. It all works together. Hallelujah. It's just where you put it. I'm not trying to work for salvation. He provided that for me. But there are works of salvation. And I'm born again today. And because of that, because I'm a born again believer, I live like I'm, like I'm a born again believer. Hallelujah. You know, come on. Some of you ladies, how many of y'all ladies are married in here? Some of you ladies are married. Going to get married. You're married right now? Okay. Well, on your marriage day, you said, I do. He said, I do. But then what if he walked out of the church house or the courthouse, wherever you did it, and he lived like he was single? What if he lived like he wasn't married? No, if he's married, he's going to live like he's married. If he's not living like he's married, it's only in name only. It's only in profession. The works have to be there. You can talk about, I'm a married man. Are you living like a married man? I'm a married woman. Are you living like a married woman? You can say you're a Christian all day long, but are you living like a Christian? Somebody said amen. amen. Would you ladies be okay if your husband made that commitment and entered a covenant with you of marriage and then he went out and he neglected you? Amen. He wasn't intimate with you. That's a business deal. How about you men? Would you be alright if your wife wasn't intimate with you? And live like she was single? But y'all staying married for the kids' sake. That's a business arrangement. If you're married, you're going to have the works of a married person. If you're saved, you're going to have the works of a saved person. You're going to be intimate with Jesus Christ. You're going to serve Him. You should be able to look at my life. I should be able to look at your life and say, I know that person's saved today because I can see their faith is alive by the works that they produce. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that on Judgment Day, and before you get there on Judgment Day, that works don't play a part in your salvation. That'll cause you to die and go to hell. Because based on the Word of God, justification, true justification, is by faith plus sanctification. Big difference. It's what salvation produces. Not you trying to produce salvation. There's a present justification at conversion. There's a future justification at that final day. And God in, in between those two every day of your life is just you. And it's proved, it's evidenced by the fruit of your good works. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you again on judgment day, what's God going to do? Okay, he's going to look back in time. You, were you born again of the water and the Spirit according to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38? Okay, check. Got that. After you got born again, check that off. Did you live? Did you have works that were evidence or the fruit of that, of that conversion? Got that? Check. 
on judgment day, you got that. You got the justification at conversion. You've got sanctification, works that prove you're saved. Check, check. And so on judgment day, he's going to say, I justify you. Check. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. That's why, see, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not working to earn salvation. But I am working to get God's approval for my life. For the way I live. As far as justification, He sees the blood. He cleanses me with His blood. He forgives me of my sin. But I, I, I stay in His approval because I live the covenant. I live the covenant. Everybody understand what I'm preaching to you today. So I've already explained to you what it means. It means it's a declaration, justification, declaration from God that you are in a right relationship with God. I'm explaining now what the, uh, the basis of it was the cross. I'm explaining now to you when it happens. When does justification take place? At your new birth and while you're alive. All the way up to the future, final day of judgment. You were justified. Are you justified this morning? If you are, there's a good chance you'll be justified in eternity. Say, pray. Everybody, are y'all awake? Okay. It looks like you're doing all right out there. And the way is the works of salvation by new birth. And those, those, that salvation produces good works. And you have to have both of them according to, to uh, Paul in Romans and James in his writings. Okay? Everybody understand the difference? Amen. Salvation producing works versus works trying to produce salvation. That's dead works. Okay. Everybody understand that? Salvation though that produces good works, that's sanctification. That's living works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Hallelujah. God is good. That's why I told you earlier, I've got to spend some time on teaching justification. Because a lot of people are just saying, you're justified, no works at all. You're not telling the people the whole truth. Your salvation includes works. It better or you're not saved. Woo, hallelujah. See, that really, boy, some of you guys will go, man. You think you can come in here and keep acting up and living like the devil and rebellion against God Almighty? I don't care if we baptize you a hundred times in Jesus' name and you got the Holy Ghost 25 years ago. If you're in rebellion today, that's something God is never going to let in His heaven. He cast the devil out of heaven because of rebellion. So you better repent! And repentance is not a one-time experience at the beginning of your conversion. Paul says, we die daily. You better get your head on straight, honey child, juicy fruit, sugar plum. You can't keep coming up in here rebellious, prideful, and arrogant. God, you're never making it into heaven. Pride, God's not going to let pride into heaven. He cast an angel out of heaven over pride. 
You're re- if you're really saved, though, the good news, brothers and sisters, if you're really saved, you will repent. If you're really saved, when the Word of God goes forth, you will respond to the Word of God. If you're not really saved today, you don't care about the Word of God. You'll never respond. You won't repent. But if you really are saved, you're going to love to go to church. If you really are saved, you're going to love to pray. If you really are saved, you're going to live holy. If you really are saved, and you sin against God, and we all do, if you really are saved, conviction will come on your life. And you'll not condone it. You'll say, God, forgive me. Have mercy on me. If you're not saved, you don't care. You don't care about the way you live. You don't care about your attitude. You don't care about your spirit. You don't care about going to church anymore. There has to be proof that you're saved. So as I close, Paul begins to illustrate this in the life of Abraham. James said he's justified by works. No contradiction. Because that works is pocketed in the sanctification side. Paul says it this way, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Just human works as dead works. Abraham was empty handed. He couldn't save himself. For what saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God and he was counted unto him for righteousness. He believed God. Brothers and sisters, but i got a question for you. When it says he believed God, does that mean he just mentally accepted the facts? What kind of belief did Abraham have? The kind of faith that Abraham had that justified him. What kind of man was he? What kind of belief did he have? Mental acceptance? Where all you got to do is accept Jesus and have the facts about Him? No, you know the kind of belief that Abraham had? The kind of faith that Abraham had that justified him? I'm going to give it to you right now. Number one, he was a one God believer. And he believed that one God was omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He had faith against all odds. He had faith in God's Word. God's Word outweighed circumstances. He did not waver in his faith. He was fully convinced. And then we'll talk about it tonight. 17-21 describes the kind of faith he had. It was not easy believism or mental acceptance alone. It was a strong, steadfast, unwavering, obedient faith. That's the kind of belief he had. The kind of faith he had Genesis 12.1, he left the country that God told him to leave. He obeyed. Genesis 15, verse 6, which this scripture in Romans 4 is talking about, he was justified when? After he left Ur and entered Canaan. After he separated from Lot. He believed God's promise. He would have a child. That's when he was justified. God fulfilled His promise because Abraham obeyed Him. Genesis 22, 18. When you talk about Abraham believed, you're talking about the example that you and I must have in our life to have the kind of belief that saves. 
that means you're going to have to believe in one true God. You're going to have to believe He uh, brings life from the dead. Resurrection, Jesus. You're going to have to believe that God knows the future. You're going to have to believe that by His blood, the ground, the sources, God's means through faith. The time is the new birth. John 3, 3-5, Acts 2.38. The evidence are the words and the works. A living faith. Godly living. Amen? That's what true believing is. It's a total submission and total commitment to God. You talk about believing like Abraham believed. It wasn't just acceptance of the Lord. God have mercy on us. See, I'm bringing you the gospel, but you better make sure that the gospel you're believing in is based on the Word of God. Say praise the Lord. That's why I told you I've got to spend some time this morning. Because when you talked about justification, what does it mean? What's the basis? When did it happen? What does it, when does it happen? How? 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 And what does it produce? Paul, talking about Abraham, the father of the faithful. <laughs> you talk about Abraham. He was such a man of faith, a man of God. He wouldn't let his children marry an unbeliever. You start talking about, I, I'm going to believe like, I, I'm going to have. God says this is the kind of faith you've got to have. You've got to have Abraham kind of faith. Amen. You go to church and they tell you all you've got to do is accept Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. And you're going to heaven. And you go out and live your life the way you want to. You won't be in heaven. Because you didn't believe like Abraham. Say praise the Lord. What saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. He was in right standing because he believed God. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him to justify the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now what is it God saying? He's saying if you go to work and you, you, you work at a job, you get paid because they owe you for your work. But God is not indebted to anybody. God is not indebted to you. He's not indebted to me. I had a guy call me the other day. He's not in the church. Man, he wanted something so bad. It was not biblical. He wanted it so bad. And I told him, I said, I'm going to take this opportunity to show you how to be a truly born again believer. You have a religious background, but I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you how to really be a born again believer. And I said, right now, what you're, the way you're living right now, you're going straight to hell. The way you're living right now, you're going straight to hell. I said, you better get out of that relationship. You're going straight to hell. He said, well, what, what if, you know, what if uh, this or what if that? I said, well, I don't know what God's going to do with that future plan you've got. But right now, you're lost. You're lost. You need God. And you, God is not indebted to you. God's not going to come down. God doesn't come down to unbelief. God comes down. If you don't understand, if you don't understand, God will come down and He'll give you understanding. But God will never come down to unbelief. He's not, he's not indebted to you to get, give you what you want. 
He don't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. You come in here because you're not getting your way. God's not indebted to you. He don't have to give you what, what you want. You by grace say thank you Jesus for saving me from a devil's hell. That's what I deserve. You don't come in here and put demands on God. Well, I'll go to church, you know. I'm going to go check out this church. I'm going to go, you know, see if it fits in my bag. See if I like it. It's not about whether or not you like it. It's about what God says. I don't care if you ever come back. No, I really do. I want you to come back. But if you don't, that's not going to stop me from preaching the Word of God. You by being here 10, 20 years and backslid. I'm not going to stop preaching the Word of God just because you backslide. Somebody said amen. God isn't indebted to you. You better thank God that you got what you got. You better thank God for eternal life. Thank God for justification. Thank God that you get to serve Him. Thank God that you get to be totally committed and totally submitted to Him. Thank God for that and get over your rebellion and your backslidden state of mind. Stop treating God like He owes you something. He's not indebted to you. He justified you without your words. You don't deserve anything from God but hell. Neither do I. Somebody said amen. Coming in here, all oh, got your, you know, your tongue dragging the floor, head down. Well, God, God, are you kidding me? The one that can take you and lift you over angels' heads and cast you into a devil's hell, and you're gonna come in here in rebellion. And, and demand God give you what you want. God not going to give you what you want. I told my wife after I got off the phone with that man, I showed him the message of grace whereby I could be saved. Well, I told her, I said, he didn't like what I told him. But I, but I shared the truth with him and I invited him to church. I said, if you want to have eternal life, I can show you how to prepare for that. I said, I don't know what's going to happen with your life in time. But I can sure show you how to make it to heaven. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> so God is saying it wasn't based on Abraham's good works. If that were the case, then God would have been indebted to him. But it was by mercy. It was by grace. By Abraham's faith. It was because Abraham believed God. Hallelujah. Say amen. amen. You know, some people come to church and never get nothing from God. You know why they never get anything from God? Because they think God owes them something. And they come to church, they want to make God pay. God says, When I see people that don't deserve, no, they don't deserve anything from God. Walk into church, no, they don't deserve anything from God. Walk out healed. Walk out delivered. Walk out filled with the Spirit. Walk out saved. Because they know they nothing without God. Nothing. Empty handed. You walk up in here all prideful and arrogant, think you deserve something. God going to laugh at you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
He doesn't owe you one thing. You breathe His air that He gives you freely. You didn't pay Him for the breath you breathe. You drink water that you didn't produce. You eat food that you didn't produce. You need to come here to be thankful to God. God doesn't owe you anything. He owes me a marriage. No, He doesn't. You get married, you start acting like a devil. Just as bad as you were before you got married. Not getting married, well, that'll fix my problem. No, it won't. No, it won't. You still have the same you. Somebody said amen. Now, you don't like this, but I'm going to preach it to you. Abraham, the father of the faithful, the one that's an example to you and me, he knew he couldn't demand anything from God. In fact, God said, you take your son and give him to me. Your only son. The one you received from me by faith. You were 100 years old. Sarah was 90. You have a miracle child on your hands. You received that promise because you believed in me. You got Isaac, which means laughter. Ha, ha, ha. You got ah ha 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 from from Sarah and you because you believed in God, a miracle child from a God who can raise a dead womb of a woman to life. Gave you something you couldn't produce. You're an old man. You're beyond childbearing age. She's barren. She can't have a child. God gave it to you because you believed in Him, not because He owed it to you. called the promised child. Ha ha ha. Isaac, your little ha ha ha. Your laughter is something to make you laugh because God gave it to you and you know you didn't deserve it. Hallelujah. It was by grace because you believed in Him. Amen. You walk in here and you think God owes you something, you're going to walk out empty handed. You come in and say, God, I'm nothing. I'm empty handed. He'll give you everything. And then when he does, you better stand there and praise him. You better stand there and worship him. You better not start thinking it was you. You know God did it for you by grace and mercy. He saved your own, your own wretched self. Your own wretched soul. I'm going to say it to you this way. He saved your old sad, sorry self from hell. Hallelujah. Left to ourselves, he's already showed us what we are. Sad, sorry self. But He loved you enough to die for you. He loved you enough to save you. And now all He asks from you is to live for Him. He don't owe you anything. He can come to you at any time He wants to and says, you give me. And Abraham, I'm going to find out. Abraham, I'm going to find out if you really do have faith. If you really do believe me. I'm going to find out. Will you give me your only son? And Abraham said, Yes, I'll give him to you. Abraham was justified by his works because his works declared the kind of faith that he had. And that was that he loved God no matter what God required of him. Somebody said, Amen. Well, I'll be on fire for you, God, if I get this or this happens. Are you kidding me? 
then now it's debt. That's right. It's a debt that God owes you. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens in my life, loss or addition, I have a responsibility to serve Him, to be on fire, to worship Him, to love Him, to live for Him, and be willing to give Him anything and everything and everybody He wants in my life. And if I'm not willing to do that, my faith is not alive this morning. I owe Him. I'm a debtor. He doesn't owe me. Abraham said, I didn't work. Paul said, Abraham didn't work. He came empty-handed. And God gave him the promise, gave him his son, because he believed. And the kind of faith that he had and the kind of belief that he had caused him to give that son back if God asked him for it. So now when you talk about believing like Abraham, which is what is required for justification, is that the kind of belief that you and I have? That's heavy stuff. Abraham didn't have easy believism. Abraham didn't have mental acceptance. Abraham was totally sold out, committed, submitted, and being willing to give God everything in total obedience, even if it meant his own son. Thank God for everything he's done for you. Thank God for everything He's done for me because I don't deserve it freely by grace and mercy. I'm going to tell you too this way, brothers and sisters. If I am living holy today, it's only by the grace of God. If I'm still in the church today, it's only by the grace of God. If I'm still on fire today, it's only by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God and so are you. Don't ever forget it. Hallelujah. But God does what He should do, and then He requires you to do what you should do. Amen? It is important for us to understand that. So the kind of faith that He had, He didn't buy it. He didn't buy justification. God justified Him freely, gave it, accounted it to Him. He subtracted His sins and added righteousness to Him. Because He believed. But James says the kind of faith that's alive was a faith that produced works. He said Abraham had the works to prove it. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise in the house. See, we got two extremes today. We got assurance. I'm going to get the wording right. I'm almost done. I won't keep you this long tonight, but I got to get this down tonight, today. You have to have assurance without, here's, I got it written down, presumption. Assurance without presumption, which means I have assurance of salvation, but I don't presume that I can live any way I want to and be saved. My assurance is without presumption. And my holiness must be without anxiety. So you have two extremes today. I'm saved so I can do whatever I want to do. 
that is assurance with presumption. The other extreme is this. Anxiety and holiness. That extreme is as if somebody comes to church today and because they sinned last week, they come to the pastor all condemned. And they say, Pastor, because I sinned last week, I'm not, I must not be a Christian. I must not be saved. And they constantly live in anxiety every day about their salvation. That's an extreme. It must be holiness without anxiety. Yes, I should be concerned about the way I live, but I'm not going to get up every day terrified and tormented if I come short of the glory of God because I take it to the blood of Jesus and I ask Him to forgive me and I ask Him to cleanse me and I ask Him to give me the power, ask Him to give me the strength to overcome it. So don't go in the extreme of assurance with presumption. Your assurance must be without presumption. And it also must be holiness without anxiety. Hallelujah, Jesus. God is able. God is able. I'm relying on Him to work in and through me by His Spirit. And if I come short, I take it straight to the blood. But I don't give myself a license. Okay? So Abraham believed God in a mathematical term, it was accounted unto him to righteous, an accounting term. Accounting, mathematical term. God subtracted his sin and added to him righteousness. Based on his faith. He believed the word of God. He couldn't produce it himself. God did a miracle for him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody said hallelujah. Not debt. Not because he worked and God owed him. By grace, a free gift from God. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And then he talks about David. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteous without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. You know David, Psalm 32. You know why he would repeat that. Paul would repeat what David said in Psalm 32. Because David's sin, he didn't have no way in the Old Testament to be forgiven. Adultery and murder were not forgivable in the Old Testament what I mean by that, there was no sacrifice you could bring that would take away adultery and murder. David had to reach all the way to Calvary, beyond the Old Testament sacrificial system, all the way to faith in Jesus Christ, the greater sacrifice that fulfilled those sacrifices, to believe that he, God could even forgive him of adultery and murder. No wonder David said, Blessed is the man in whom God hath not imputed, and unto whom God imputeth righteousness. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. He deserved to die. He knew it. But God gave him, gave him forgiveness. Forgave him. Now are you with me? Hallelujah. Psalm 51, very, 55. No, 51, very quickly go there. 55 verse 1. Psalm 55 verse 1. 
Hallelujah. Did David deserve it? Did he deserve forgiveness? I guarantee you he didn't walk around with pride. He didn't walk around arrogant. He walked around, he walked humble before God after God forgave him of something that he deserved the death penalty over. Murder and adultery. He knew he deserved to die. God forgave him freely by mercy. Amen. 51 verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before thee against thee and the only of thy sin and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaved in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward heart parts and the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Listen to the prayer of this man who knew he deserved damnation. Knew, knew, knew he deserved to die. No sacrifice he could bring. But he looked all the way to Calvary for his forgiveness and God forgave him. What's different is Abraham wasn't under the Mosaic law when God forgave him by faith, but David was under the law. And he still had to be forgiven by mercy and grace. And what did he say? Wash me with hyssop. He knew something about the blood that would be shed on the cross. I don't know if you know this, but a priest would take a piece of cedar wood, cut it off a tree, cedar wood. He'd take that cedar wood, the highest of all trees, which speaks of God. Jesus is the cedar. He'd take that cedar, the highest of all trees. He would take the bush, the hyssop, which is the lowest of all bushes. A hyssop's root is a quarter inch to a half inch long. That's all. It'll grab a hold of a rock, even a wailing wall, in a little crevice of a rock. It quarter inch to a half inch long it'll root itself in that rock it'll grow 15 to 20 feet in length as it clings by faith to the rock it produces and David said the cedar which represents the highest God the only God God Jesus and the bush the hyssop the lowest of all bushes speaking of my humanity has been put on the top of that cedar handle and wrapped with a scarlet cord and then dipped in blood and applied to my life. That's why the hyssop is a picture of your faith that takes the blood and is applied to your life. And David knew that that cedar wrapped with that cedar wrapped with scarlet cord with the hyssop on top with the blood on it is what caused him to walk out that day a free man that was guilty. Hallelujah. A man that was a slave to his sin redeemed and set free. A man who had the wrath of God hanging over his head but became a propitiation because of the blood and it was all by grace and mercy. The blood had been applied to his life. And so Paul, he will talk about it. He says, Abraham was justified. He was justified apart from works. He was justified apart from circumcision. 
He was justified apart from the law. He was justified apart from sight. He was justified as those verses begin to teach you. Without law, 430 years later is when the law of Moses was given. Abraham was justified by law, by, by faith, before the law was given. Abraham was justified by faith before circumcision was, was required. Thirteen years before he was circumcised, he believed God. He believed without, his, without human works. He believed without seeing. And God said, because of that, Abraham was justified with me. Hallelujah. Justified freely by His grace. Based on the work of another. Jesus Christ, His precious blood. What is justification? Right relationship with God, right standing. What's the basis? Calvary, the blood of Jesus Christ. When? Does it happen? At the new birth. Throughout time. And the final day of judgment. And that true faith is evidenced by works. And then those means of justification. Is it faith or is it works? What are the means? Faith or works? Faith comes first, followed by the works. So it's both. It's justification by faith and then sanctification, the works that follow, produce salvation. Someday you'll stand before God and so will I. And I won't stand before God for you. I'll have to give an account for you, Brother Jerry. But I won't stand before God for you. Someday when you stand before God, God asks you, why should He let you into His heaven? You're going to have to say, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I obeyed that form of doctrine which was delivered unto me. In my conversion, that's when I was justified. And Lord, I live for You and had the evidence that my faith was alive for the rest of my life. I came short at times, God, but I went to you and you forgave me. And I relied upon your power and your strength to finish my course. So now, Lord, as I stand before you here today, those are the reasons why I enter into your heaven. Justified by grace. And that grace that justifies is witnessed in my life by the works that I produce. You have that on judgment day and He will look at you and say, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Amen. Thou good and faithful servants. But He's not just going to believe it because you said it. There's going to be a record of your works. And what is so awesome is that everything that you've done for Him here, not only do you get eternal life, but He'll give you a crown Five different crowns, possibly. He'll give you a crown for service. He'll give you a robe of righteousness. And the book of Revelation says it's the righteousness of the saints. 
your wedding garment is being made by this by today by your works in service to God. When you get to heaven, some of y'all are going to have beautiful wedding garment. Not literally, it has to do with glorification. But your works here determine your level of glorification there. So be faithful to the Lord in all things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray this morning as you stand that this message on justification brings clarity to you. Okay? Hallelujah. We need to understand the Word of God because this is the thing right here that will determine you either saved or you lost. You saved or you lost. What you do with this message that you heard this morning will determine saved or lost. It is the major theme of the Bible. In fact, Martin Luther, who was a reformer, said it was the greatest of all the verses of the Scripture. He thought justification. How to be, how a man can be right with God. But remember, brothers and sisters, when you start putting a doctrine together, you have to, and the focus of Romans is justification by faith. You have to understand James shows justification by works. You have to show by Romans it's now, and in Galatians it's future. You have to take the whole word of God to understand what does justification by faith really mean. I love each and every one of you. May the Lord bless you real good. You're my brothers and you're my sisters. And if I got on you a little bit too hard today, good. Because I love you enough to do that. Okay? I'm your brother and I'm your sister. And I love you. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't made it yet either. Hey, y'all, all y'all over there. I'm getting aren't you glad I can't see like I used to? I don't even know who's over. I haven't made it yet either. Don't don't live. You you don't live like you've made it. You don't come to church with your arms folded sitting on a pew like you've made it. You haven't made it yet. You say, well, I'm just going to give up because I'm tired. Well, you're going to hell then. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. You've got to, you've got to be faithful into the end. The Bible says, they that are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. Many are called, few are chosen. How many less are faithful? If you're going to be with Him, they that are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. Don't you ever think about backsliding. You see somebody in your family, they're backslidden in the world, they're on the way to hell today. Don't you ever join them. Don't give yourself a license to join them. Just because they don't want to live for God, they don't want to be in the church, don't you come to church all dead, lukewarm, carnal, and cold. You better get on fire. Amen. You better serve God with all your heart. Don't let somebody else, don't take your cue from somebody else. You take your cue from the Word of God. Hallelujah. Say Amen. Say amen, Providence Melvis. Amen. See how soft-spoken she is? Amen. And then she gets up here and it's like a roaring lion. I can't believe it. You know, she's a lady and the voice that comes out of her when she gets anointed. Hallelujah. Everybody said amen. amen. Are you thankful today for what the Lord has done for you? Then let's prove it. Let's prove it. I love each and every one of you. May the Lord bless you real good.